you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. From LAist Studios, this is Off Ramp. I'm John Raby. We're dropping this episode on June 17th, just a couple days before Juneteenth. And I could think of no better time to replay something that we released nationally a couple years ago when we did a project about the amendments to the Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. I'm LeVar Burton. Your public radio station is celebrating American democracy by presenting the amendments to the U.S. Constitution that lay out our freedoms and how democracy works. The 13th Amendment was ratified on December 6, 1865. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States, or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And then came the 15th Amendment, five years later. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. These two amendments together are the passport, the entry point to my rights as a citizen of the United States and the rights of people who look like me. I feel like my family and countless others have earned our place in America through blood, sweat, tears, and as it says in the Constitution, this condition of servitude that was so unjustly vested upon our people. And LeVar Burton is our special guest in this three-part episode of Off-Ramp, originally broadcast in 2012. This is Off-Ramp. I'm John Raby. People in, in the public eye are generally happy if they have one thing that they've done that's a cultural touchstone. My guest is LeVar Burton, who's a, a triple threat in the cultural touchstone world. What's your name? Kunta. Kunta Kinte. One of the best inventions ever was the book. Data? Yes? What happened? Roots, Reading Rainbow, Star Trek The Next Generation. Welcome to Off-Ramp. Oh, thank you, John. I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to be here. Reading Rainbow was on for about a quarter century. Uh, that, that, that is correct. A, a, a little over a quarter of a century. We were in constant production. And that, that I think, makes it the third longest-running children's series uh, on PBS. It's a little over a generation, which means that you run into adults yeah. who, who grew up with this. Every day of my life. And a lot of them um, attribute at, at least a part of what it is they do to their love of, of literature, reading, the written word, and how Reading Rainbow really helped bring that into their lives. People of every walk of life. And now, I think the most important demographic, parents. 
who grew up on the show and are now at that age in their lives when they are either having kids or, or contemplating um, having kids. So it, 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 is a, it continues to be the most important thing I've ever done in my life. Do they use reading Rain- like the lessons they learned from Reading Rainbow to teach their kids? Yes, and the excitement because of the app now. Yeah. They are really excited about sharing Reading Rainbow with their kids, and it's something that they can have together. And it wasn't about teaching kids to read. No, not at all. I mean, th- that was already being taken care of in the in the in that was the like the golden age of television for children's television on, on PBS when you had so many wonderful educational but entertaining. I mean, really enriching television shows. My business partner Mark is is, is fond of saying that. When we were growing up, a parent could put their child in front of PBS and not know what the show was, but just know that it was cool, that it was okay. Whatever the message was, whatever the information was, it delivered on a level that a child and an adult could both relate to in the same space. And that's the hallmark of that whole body of work that was produced from the 60s through the 80s. How are you trying to engage the kids? In the same way we believe we always have, through literature and video. On the television show, every show was centered around a book, and then there were three or four review books that had a a similar subject or or theme. And and then there were the video field trips, right, with LeVar, uh, that sort of all-access backstage tour to real-world experience that we always tied back to the literature. Why was that important? Well, because kids are growing up in a real world, and in order to really get a balanced benefit from being a reader. You have to engage both the imagination, you have to engage both sides of the brain, right? Every neuroscientist will tell you this, that neuroplasticity is based on a balance of of neural activity uh, between hemispheres. And so you have to have that imagination engaged and it has to be in some way be able to be connected to your present time experience. That's the journey of being a human. A couple books that I connected with as a child, wildly different, but we could read anything that was in the house. Yeah. So uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories took me to another world, but also one day I picked up Elie Wiesel's Night. I might have been 11 or 12. I might have been 10. I don't remember. And read that. You were a reader then. You, you, you were definitely a reader. Wow. Uh, Elie Wiesel at 10 is pretty intense. Um, I, I couldn't what was believe I reading it. at 10? What was I reading at well, that's, 10? That's what I'd yeah. like to know. Um, I don't, like Hardy Boys Mysteries. <laughs> I wasn't reading Elie Wiesel, that's for certain. Um, I read a lot of biographies. I, read, I grew up Catholic, and so I read a lot of biographies of saints um, and wanted to be a priest. I, I actually right. studied for the priesthood for a time. So, I mean, I, I, was, I was really, I read a lot of literature um, about people who the church had held up as, as examples of how, how to do this, this human being thing. Anybody you still think about and connect with? Uh, St. Augustine, more than anybody else. He was, he's the greatest sinner. <laughs> he did it all. He did it all. He bought the soundtrack and the T-shirt, man. <laughs> and still he came to God in a right relationship, and he helped change the world. He's one of the, the deepest philosophers, uh, and I think one of the most valid sources of spirituality because of his humanity. He engaged in it all. He did it all. And it served his journey. It served his path, his spiritual path. Back to our 2012 conversation with LeVar Burton in just a moment. This is Off Ramp from LAS Studios. Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. 
VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. This is LeVar Burton. You're listening to Off Ramp, and here is John Raby. We're talking with LeVar Burton who participates in three cultural touchstones, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, Reading Rainbow, and Roots. Are people still coming up to you, even with the Reading Rainbow and Star Trek The Next Generation, to distract them? Do they still come up and talk to you about Roots? And, and, the, and the, uh, again, the, the beauty is that there's a, a whole other now new generation being introduced to Roots by grandparents, parents, uh, older family members. It's still fairly widely used in schools. What, are the, what's, what stuff do they say to you about Roots? Well, it runs the gamut. Boy, it opened my eyes. It showed me a part of our history that I really didn't understand. During the time it was on TV, that they felt part of something so much bigger than themselves because so many people were involved in the common experience of, of viewing night after night. What do we have now? Super Bowl? <laughs> I'm trying to think. There's nothing. There's nothing like that anymore. Well, but 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 you have to understand that 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 the, the technology has evolved, and so the way we consume our stories has evolved to the point where there are so many more outlets that are available now. We'll never gather in those large numbers to watch a singular event unless it's something like if they were to broadcast the the live birth of 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 Will and Kate's baby, right? right? Th- then the whole world would tune in and we we would all be having a common a shared experience uh, via an electronic, you know, um, story. <laughs> bar, bar. Note to self: Call Buckingham Palace. Rights. We need the rights. Okay. We need. We need. We 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 got to get them to sign a release. It is an extreme example of how I genuinely believe that the media has the power to really transform culture. You know, I, I'm a big fan of radio. I mean, I grew up. You know, I was born in Germany, lived there for a, a brief, brief time, a couple of years when I was in the third and the fourth grade. So, Armed Forces Radio Network was really the the source of entertainment, audio, the audio experience of storytelling. It's really what I what I grew up on. That that in comic books. What did comic books teach you? That there was great strength in diversity. That's what, that's what superheroes are about. You know, they're they're all damaged in some way or another. Um, they all represent the other in society, and and they're all out there kicking ass. And, and making the world safe. Which were the books you were reading? The yeah. Fantastic Four was my joint, okay. right? Um, I loved the Fantastic Four. Uh, I, you know, but we were in Germany, right? Yeah. So all culture, American culture, was imported. And it was imported through a system of, of families going and coming across the, the pond all the time by ship. That's how we traveled in those days. When you travel that way, you have to take with you what you really want and treasure. And there was a culture when I was a kid living in Germany on the army base of we traded comic books because any new content to you was right. new content, right? And so every Saturday morning, we would gather, we would, we would have these cardboard boxes with pounds literally pounds of comics, and we would go around from apartment block to apartment block, up and down the stairwells and trading comic books. And it really did, uh, it, it sort of opened me up to the idea of cooperative economics. You speak any German? Ein bisschen, ja. A little bit, yes. Yes, a little bit, yes. I can say alles beschissen, um, which, is, which is everything is going to <laughs> yeah, it's one of the first things you learn in any language, right? Is how to swear. I mean, that's that's always been the case. So, Gummi Kinderwagen Stoßstanger. Well, you know what? If you break it, then you own it. 
And I'll keep my Stoßstanger to myself. Thank you so much. Stoßstanger. Give me Kinderwagen Stoßstanger. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. You have a you have a dirty mind. Buggy bumper. Oh my goodness gracious. We're talking with LeVar Burton. It must have been an incredible burden growing up uh, for you as an actor to be the son of Richard Burton. <laughs> well, he, he is, uh, you know, what we refer to as the white sheep in the family. And so we don't talk about him. Uh, but was he all like, to be or not to be, go clean your room? <laughs> I, 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 I know what you're getting at, and, and, it, and it is true. When, when I, there was a time in my life when Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole were the epitome of, I guess, a civilized, a civilized gentleman. I remember at one point, this, I, this was when I was really young. I was like 11, maybe, not even 12. But I told my mother that my real father was Peter O'Toole. And that uh, one day, and that he was off working, right? Um, my parents were divorced <laughs> right, right around that time in my life, right? And so, or a little, little bit before that. So, you know, as an adolescent, I had to fill the gap um, that, was, that was created by an absent father. And, um, and I, I filled it with, with images from movies. Sidney Poitier, um, Richard Burton, Peter O'Toole. These were my heroes. Uh, they became, you know, my, my heroes and my role models. I wasn't actually getting at anything. I was just being silly. Oh. <laughs> there was no deeper meaning behind that question than to, to poke fun at your last name. O- overshare. No, no. It was great. <laughs> it's great. Sometimes statements are the best questions. Never, never mind. <laughs> we'll hear the final part of my 2012 conversation with LeVar Burton in just a moment. This is Off Ramp from Elias Studios. Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. This is LeVar Burton. You're listening to Off Ramp. And here is John Raby. What shows did you watch as a kid? Star Trek was big in our family. What I remember about, uh, about television as I was growing up, um, because it wasn't always there and it wasn't always on, right? Um, but I remember coverage of, of, of John F. Kennedy's funeral. Uh, those images are, are indelible for, uh, you know, not just me, I mean an entire generation of people. I remember black and white TV. Uh, <laughs> I uh, my parents didn't get a color TV till I went to college, right. so I thought that Star Trek was in black and white. I, 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 re- I remember the transition from black and white to color, and, and, and I remember the, the, the you know, Sunday night in the wonderful world of Disney and, and, and when, it was, when it was first broadcast in color. And I remember Get Smart, and I, I remember Julia. I remember the Mod Squad. I remember those images of people who looked like me on television that were so rare when I was growing up in, in, in the 60s and 70s. And whenever black people were on TV, you know, it was a, a, a source, generally, um, a source of pride. The interesting thing about the 70s and the end of the 70s is that Roots came along in a period of television where people of color were beginning to be introduced into the mix in a, in a much more active way. But the, the roles and the depictions were still very narrow, 
very limited in scope. You know, black people in, 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 in series television on the Starsky and Hutches and the Berettas and the Kojaks, black people were pimps. They were hustlers. They were dope pushers. They were drug addicts. They were the, the real fringe. And it was just not a balanced view. Or if there was a black character who was good, the race was central to it as opposed to yeah, incidental. As opposed to in- incidental. And so the flip side of that is the, the magical Negro. So <laughs> what's that? I've heard of a magical uterus. We had that in the last election. But right. what's a magical Negro? Well, a magical Negro is, is that character. Uh, what, what's a great example of that? Uh, Bagger Vance. That character in, in, in The Legend of Bagger Vance is, is the, the quintessential magical Negro. That black person who, by its, his very presence, represents some sort of energy that m- makes them unusual for a human being. That somehow, because they imbued qualities that were more familiar to Europeans, that they were more, in, in some sense, civilized, and not like those other Negroes. They're, they're magical Negroes. Yeah. yeah. In reading Rainbow, your race was incidental. I stand on the shoulders of Bill Cosby in that respect. Here's a, here's a, a question. What do Morgan Freeman... Lawrence Fishburne, Bill Cosby, and LeVar Burton all have in common. All four of those black men have roots in children's television in America. What I draw from it is that it's a part of that balance that I talked about that was absent in the 70s, that now we have here in, in, in 2012, we are able to look at the contributions to a, a, an elementally, a fundamentally important part. I mean, this com- whole conversation began with reading Rainbow and its impact on culture. And so to balance the pimps and the hustlers of the 70s, I, I just think it's interesting to note that you have these four very prominent black men in this society who have found it a valuable investment of their time to focus on the children in this country. In my experience, I found that people who do children's theater are some of the best actors because they can handle anything. <laughs> well, if you can keep a room full of 10-year-olds quiet for 90 minutes, you're, you're pretty, pre- pretty good at some. <laughs> and, and, yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, children's lit, stuff that's aimed at kids, is yeah. pared down to its essence. It, it is. Children, for me, as a, as a performer, as a storyteller, are the best audience of all because they don't have any pretensions about being politically correct as a response to what it is you're presenting. If they don't like it, they'll let you know. Right. And, and if they are truly captivated and engaged, there's, there's no better feeling. Yeah. yeah. LeVar Burton, it's been a real pleasure talking with you on Off-Ramp. John, a great conversation. Um, you're welcome to come by anytime. I recorded that conversation with LeVar Burton back in 2012, which is why we didn't talk about the national scandal That was him not getting selected to be the next host of Jeopardy. I would have chosen him, but it was not up to me. If you liked our conversation, then please subscribe to the Off-Ramp podcast. That tells the algorithm gods that this is something worth listening to. And that's important not just for my ego, which is substantial, but it gets these interviews, these great pieces out to more and more people. And that's the whole point of the Off-Ramp podcast. These are stories worth telling. And you subscribing, and maybe even leaving a rating and a comment, that helps get the podcast out to more and more people. This is an LAS Studios production. I'm John Raby, and I'll see you next time on The Off-Ramp. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.